All right. Hi, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving week. Looking forward to Thanksgiving. I really love the holiday of Thanksgiving. It's a lot of fun. And uh, so, how many of you are headed out of town? How many of you have someone out of town coming in? Okay. All right. All right. Hey, there's Tori. Hi, my daughter. Oh, we haven't seen each other. So, Tori, it's nice to see you. Yeah, that's nice. Well, I had one of my other daughters ask me this weekend, what's, what's a coronation? I said, what do you mean, what is a coronation? You know, the coronation service for Glenn Matlock. <laughs> Actually, it's not a coronation, but you're close. Ordination, so that's putting your stamp of approval on someone who's proven themselves and uh, is called into ministry, and so that's what we're going to be doing uh, right after this service. So we'll take a break and get your kids and bring them in, and, and uh, we will do that uh, just shortly after we finish this service. Then we have a nice reception afterwards. So I'd love for you to join us for that. But today, uh, our real agenda right now is to finish, like, uh, like Josh said, to finish the story of Ruth. Now, we still have one more Sunday. Today, uh, next Sunday, we're going to reflect on the book of Ruth, but today we're going to finish the episodes. We're going to finish all the stories uh, you know, and, and uh, kind of the, the very last episode. Now, last episodes are kind of bittersweet uh, because anytime you watch the last episode of something, you're like happy to see all the loose ends tied up, especially those, uh, especially when, you know, they're not just a cliffhanger for, to get you to watch next time, but they're actually done. You know, they're actually finished and they tie up all the loose ends. That's the fun part. The sad part is kind of saying goodbye to the characters. So we're going we're gonna to be tying up the loose ends of the story of Ruth today. But I don't think we have to be sad necessarily to say goodbye to Boaz and Ruth and Naomi because we, we don't have to say goodbye. We can take them with us and let their stories continue to speak to our stories because you and I are still writing our stories we're writing the stories of our lives and how God is at work in us and through us. And uh, we have the book of Ruth to help us with that. One of the reasons we have the book of Ruth is to help us write our stories and see how God is at work. You look at these lives, Ruth, Boaz, Naomi, and they were lived out over time. But their lives have been compressed into four chapters so that we can kind of see how it happens. Because our lives are lived out over time as well. We don't really get to see our life in four chapters or a two-hour movie, you know. we got to live it out day by day, but long periods of time. Well, by looking at, uh, by coming up a little bit and looking down in, in the lives of f- some people in four chapters, we can kind of get a sense of how God wants to be at work in our lives as well. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to see God at work. We're actually going to meet the fourth major character of the story of Ruth. We've met Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, and today we're going to meet God, who is at work in all of their stories. So what I want us to do is uh, see how God is at work in their lives and at work in our lives as well. And uh, to do that, I want us to open our Bibles to Ruth chapter 4. So we're in the very last part of Ruth, four chapters, chapter 4. And uh, I want us... Before we read our final text, I want us to remember how this story began. You've got to remember. To appreciate the end, you've got to remember how it began. You remember bleak, black, hopeless Naomi in chapter 1 and her daughter-in-law Ruth, freshly widowed, both of them desperate to survive. You remember Naomi's bitter life. Her name was Pleasant. She found that so ironic at a certain point in her life that her name would be Pleasant because she said, don't, don't call me that anymore. 
I don't want you to call me. That just is pouring salt in the wound. Please change my name from Pleasant, from Naomi, to Mara, Bitter. Because the Almighty, He's marred me bitterly. And that's how she felt. Remember those days? We're going to see how those days end today as we read our text. And when we, come to the, when we come to the end, we're going to be able to see this one big idea that stands behind the whole book of Ruth. And it is this. God fills faithful lives. God fills faithful lives. I want you to look for evidence of three faithful lives. Three full lives. As we read, look at how all Boaz and Ruth and Naomi are all filled by the time we get to the end of this story. Now we're going to pick it up right in the middle of the legal transaction that Boaz has just conducted in order to to marry Ruth. You remember that Ruth came to Boaz and said, marry me. Marry me and, uh, and marry me not just as, don't make me your wife. I want you to marry me as a kinsman redeemer, which means you get my, mother, my mother-in-law with me. I want, you to, I want you to take us both on. And, and Boaz, generous man, gracious, was willing to do that. He goes to the town uh, gates, you know, kind of the city hall, and conducts this transaction. And we're going to pick it up right, uh, right towards the end of that transaction. Transaction is pretty much complete. Uh, Boaz, verse 9. So chapter 4, verse 9. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. That's her husband and her two sons that she's lost. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family records, or, or from among his family or the town records. Today you are witnesses. And the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah. Rachel and Leah were the founding mothers of Israel. They, but from, from those two women came the twelve tribes of Israel. So they said, May the woman who's coming into your home uh, like, be like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And the women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who has, this day not, who has not this day left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron the father of Ram. Ram the father of Amenadab. Amenadab the father of Nation. Nation the father of Salmon. Salmon the father of Boaz. Boaz the father of Obed. Obed the father of Jesse. And Jesse the father of of David. Now we got to remember, uh, as we as we look at this as we look at this last passage, 
we, we can finally begin to piece all these pieces together. We're going to learn something. That we're not just, it's, it's, what we're going to see is not just the individual lessons from the individual chapters, but that one overarching piece that ties it all together, that God fills faithful lives. Naomi, who at one point was without a husband and had lost her two sons and was in a foreign land, how she gets her life filled back up again. God fills faithful lives. And we're going to see three things this morning. We're going to see that it's true that God fills faithful lives. We're going to see how he does that. And then we're going to get a final lesson from the very end of the book that's kind of the cherry on top of the whole thing. So we want to do that. But the first thing we need to do before we can kind of flesh out these lessons is we need to see the arc of the story. We need to see what happens uh, from chapter 1 to chapter 4 and, and see how Naomi and Ruth go from empty to full. And the best way to see this is to compare the first five verses of the story with the last five verses of the story, not counting the genealogy at the end. You take the five verses before the genealogy, take the first five verses of the book of Ruth, and, and it's very clear when you look at those that the narrator intended those two passages to bookend each other. The first five verses and the last five verses mirror each other. One way they're the same is that they both have exactly the same number of Hebrew words. English, the word count's a little bit different, but in Hebrew, exactly the same number of words. They both take a pretty long period of time and collapse it into just a few paragraphs. Another way they're the same. Another way they're the same is the focus of both the first five verses and the last five verses is Naomi. That's how they're the same, but they're very different because one describes something that is empty, someone that is empty, and the other describes someone who is full. So I want us to read those two passages kind of in contrast with each other, okay? So the first five verses, this is how this, is how this story begins. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. And the man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. And they married Moabite women. One named Orpah, the other named Ruth. And after they'd lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. That's how this story begins. I want you to see how the story ends. So, Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And the women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. And then, then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, did you... Did you see that? Do you see how in these first five verses, chapter one, Naomi is empty? It's all about being empty. And then in chapter four, it's all about being full. 
right? You're going from empty to full. Do you remember what we said? Do you remember what we said when, when we were, the very first Sunday, we started this story and we read those first five verses and we kind of concluded them. We just read them, but you know, they conclude with, after they'd lived here about 10 years, Malon and Kilion also died and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. What did we say then? At the end of that, first service remembered, Oh my, right? Oh my. That's what we have empty. Oh my. Well, today we go from oh my to oh yeah. In chapter four, oh yeah. Everything was oh my before, but now it's oh yeah. Everything was empty before, but now it's full. And we see three portraits of fullness when we get to the end of the story. First of all, we see Boaz filled. By the end of the story, Boaz, he's already a successful, uh, he's successful and he's a man of standing and he's respected by the people of the city, but he'd actually grown in standing because he was willing to take his resources and, and leverage his resources in a generous way to care for a poor, needy widow. And by doing something that magnanimous, his, he, he gains a wife, he gains a son, he gains additional respect from the community, and a prayer that he would father a family that would become famous in Israel, legendary. May you be the father of a legendary family. I mean, Boaz, who already started out pretty full, is really full by the time we get to chapter 4. He's not the only one who's full. He gets to say, oh yeah, but so does Ruth. Ruth who when we first met her was a foreigner, an immigrant, a, a widow, a tragic young widow who had given up everything to be loyal and faithful to her mother-in-law. And she, she goes from having less than nothing in chapter 1 to having a wonderful husband, a man of, res, of renown in the community, a baby boy, to having a, a restful and secure home and a reputation that will last through the ages. Oh yeah, right? And then, by the end of the story, Ruth is full. By the end of the story, Boaz is full. But the star of the show, the person who covers the most territory on her journey from oh my to oh yeah, is Naomi. The book of Ruth begins with Naomi, and the book of Ruth ends with Naomi. Naomi is mentioned almost twice as many times as Ruth is. I mean, Ruth may be the heroine, but it's Naomi's story about how God filled her life. And God does fill it. It takes some time. It happens really slowly. I mean, it takes somewhere between 10 years and 20 years for Naomi to make this transition from being an empty person to being a full person. And you've got to know, in 10 years, in 20 years, there are a lot of days there, right? There are a lot of days in 10 years. There are a lot of days in 20 years. So there were a lot of days that Naomi, the best she could do was just get out of bed that day. But over time, slowly, but with God's divine design, he begins to orchestrate her life, and he blesses her. He blesses her. First of all, he blesses her with a daughter-in-law, Ruth. He blesses her with this daughter-in-law who, according to verse 15, loves Naomi and is better to Naomi than seven sons. Now, if you wanted to describe the perfect family in that day, 
you'd say, that's a family with seven sons. You know, that was, that, was, that was the picture of the perfect family. It's like today, wishing someone would have a house and a picket fence, you know. Well, that's what seven sons was in those days. It was your picket fence. Because in a day where you were dependent on men for security, to have seven of them lined up, that's a pretty good, that's pretty good redundancy right there. And so uh, Ruth is better off. She's got something better than a picket fence. She's got something better than seven sons. She's got Ruth. And not only does she have Ruth, by the end of the story, she finally has her man. She finally has, Naomi finally has her little man. This bouncing baby boy who is in her lap. It says, they're in... uh, Oh, where is that? Uh, Verse 16, she's in his lap. It's a really intimate word of closeness. Uh, He's in her lap. And notice this. This This is interesting. That even though it's Ruth's child, what do the women of the village say? They say, Naomi has a son. Ruth does all the work. And the women of the village say, Oh, yay, Naomi finally has a man. Oh yeah. So what's the point of these full lives, three full lives? The point is that God fills faithful lives. God takes people from empty to full, from oh my to oh yeah. And he doesn't just do it for Jewish widows. He does it for his people. He loves to take his people from empty to full. But there's more. That's kind, of the, that's kind of where this lesson begins. But we not only learn the fact that God fills lives, but we also learn in chapter 4 and from the whole story how God fills faithful lives. We see how he does it. And the important thing to notice as you go through the story of Ruth, the important thing to notice is that none of the people who get filled, get filled, uh, none of the people who get filled are on a quest for self-fulfillment. None of the people who get filled in the story of Ruth are on a quest for self-actualization. It's actually the opposite that is true. All the people who get filled in this story are people who are focused on filling everybody else. Boaz, he got filled as a result of his generosity, his selfless willingness to risk his resources and leverage the unknown future to take on two widows and father the son who would not be his. And by doing that, he gets full. Ruth gets filled by leaving what she knows and risking her future to follow a new God and take care of an old woman. And as she desires to fill other people, God fills her. And Naomi... Naomi gets filled by letting go of the only security that she has, her daughter-in-law. Because she's young and has a future and shouldn't be saddled with an old woman. So because she wants something better for Ruth, she, she knows that it's best for Ruth, but it's probably curtains for her. And interesting how God takes that act of selflessness and turns it around to be the, be the very means of filling Naomi. So, all these people, they're not focused on their fulfillment. They're focused on filling other people. Here's a fun fact that demonstrates how everyone in Ruth is looking out for each other. All of the prayers in the story of Ruth 
There are seven of them. All of the prayers are for someone else, which is interesting that you have a, you have a, you have a book full of empty people but none of them are praying for themselves. There's nothing wrong with praying for yourself. That's okay, but it's just interesting that all these people are empty, but in their emptiness, they're still praying for other people. And all seven of those prayers get answered. Just an interesting uh, illustration of the principle that we're saying this morning. God fills faithful lives. And now we have to add this new learning to it. God fills faithful lives as we empty them out. To fill other people. That's the means God uses to fill the lives of the people in this story. They empty their lives out to fill other people. And as they do that, as they act, remember that Hebrew word we learned last week, chesed? Right? As they act in chesed, as they act in selfless, loyal, faithful love to each other, then God fills them. Well, that's what we see. We see Boaz get filled by the chesed of Naomi and Ruth. We see Ruth get filled by the chesed of Naomi, of Naomi and Boaz. Did I get that right? Ruth and Boaz. I get them all mixed up. Boaz. Naomi, Naomi ends up getting filled. They all get filled by each other. Okay? Tracking with me there? Through the chesed that they all demonstrate to each other. And even the baby boy born in this story illustrates this same idea. You remember the boy's name? What's the baby boy's name here? His name is Obed. Obed means to serve. So Pleasant has a grandson named to serve. The one who says, no, 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 change my name to Bitter. God blesses her with a grandson whose name is to serve. And that's what he does. He serves. He serves his mother and his father. By filling their lives. He serves his grandmother by filling her life. He's going to serve God's larger purposes for the nation of Israel. And he's going to serve God's broader purposes for the salvation of the world. This baby, Obed, named to serve. We're going to see how that happens in a minute. But I want you to see that even this baby is filling other lives by serving. The principle is even demonstrated, this idea, God fills faithful lives as we empty them out to fill other people. This principle is even demonstrated by its opposite. Because by the time we get to the end of the story, the two emptiest people, the two emptiest people in the story of Ruth are the people who looked out for themselves. Orpah, the daughter-in-law, who, who uh, returned to her idols and to obscurity in Moab in chapter 1. And then Mr. So-and-so, John Doe, old what's-his-name, the kinsman non-redeemer who was not willing to risk his resources to take care of two needy widows and is lost to obscurity. I mean, the two people who focused on filling themselves are the two emptiest people in the whole story. God fills faithful lives as we empty them out. To fill other people. It's the difference between trying to be fuller and trying to be a filler. If you're trying to be fuller, and that's your life purpose, and that's what gets you out of bed in the morning to be fuller, you're not going to be. You're going to act in your own interests. You're going to do what you think is best for you, and you might be happy in the short 
term. If your goal is to be happy in chapter 1 or chapter 2 of your life, that just might work. Focus on filling yourself. But if your goal is to be happy by the time you get to chapter 4, if you want to be full at the end of your story and not just some arbitrary moment in the middle, then you don't focus on being fuller. You make your focus on being a filler Focus on being a filler, not on being fuller. And as you act in chesed, selfless love to other people, emptying yourself out, then God will fill your faithful life as well. That's just the big idea that stands behind this whole book. I want you to think about that the next time you have a conflict in your marriage. The next time you and your spouse are fighting over who works harder, who does more, or who was the first one to, you know, snap at whom, uh, who, who disappoints who more, you know, the next time you're having that fight, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the next time you have that fight, think about, wow, wonder if God might actually fill me if I just focused on filling them. What if I focused on being a filler here and not being fuller in my marriage? What if in your relationship with other people in your family or people in your faith family, you were thinking, not what can I do to be fuller? What should they be doing to fill me? And instead, what can I do to fill them? What would that be like to focus on being a filler and not on being fuller? Think about that. Think about that on National Adoption Day today, National Adoption Day, when there are uh, uh, over 100 million orphans around the world, many who need adoptive families, and over 100 kids in the Walla Walla County who need foster families. You're like, I'm done with kids. Kids don't make you fuller. Well, right, if, if, uh, if that's your attitude, then your focus, not that, I'm not saying this is for everybody, we all play a role, and and. If we're focused on being fuller, there are a lot of great things that are going to go undone in this world. But if we focus on being fillers, then God is going to use that chesed, that selfless love, to accomplish His purposes in the lives of other people and also to fill us. That's what I want you to see. As we close in on Christmas, we have a chance to live this out. As we take this uh, special reverberate offering. I mean, Christmas is almost always about either filling ourselves or the people in our tight circle around us. That's who we want to fill. I want everyone really close to me to feel really loved. But what if, what if instead we said, what, what if we focused on helping people beyond our tight circle feel loved? What if we showed loyal love to them and poured ourselves out for them? We give to people who already have so much. What if we gave to people who didn't have? And that's what this uh, Reverberate Christmas offering is, is going to be. It's going to be about, we're going to give between now, anytime. You can start giving now on the layaway program if you want. We're going to give all the way through the end of this year, all the way through the end of December. And everything that we give, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna give it away. We're going to give 100% of it away three different places. One, to church planting here in this valley. All right? The second will be to, to the best idea from within the folks of Trinity. The best idea an individual or a group from Trinity has and wants to implement for making a difference in the valley. And then one-third, we originally were going to, our, we want to do something civic with one-third. We want to love our city 
And uh, we originally were going to give to uh, the city council and just give them a check and say, you use that to, for the least of these, and it's yours, it's yours to do. But, but, and someday we'd like to do that. I think that would be a fabulous thing to do. But there's a more timely need that we've become aware of that, that has to do with the Christian Aid Center and their need to raise, uh, to build a women and children's shelter. And uh, you'll get some more information on this, but we feel like that's kind of a deadline-driven thing, and it's an opportunity for us to do something civic in a way that will, will impact an important need in our city. And so that's what we're going to do. So what a great opportunity not to focus on being fuller, but to be people who focus on being fillers. God fills faithful lives as we empty them out to fill others. That's the big idea, but there's one more truth that I want to, I want to bring out that kind of adds to one more element to this. And I wasn't sure exactly how to shoehorn this idea in, but it's such an important idea. I just want to get it in here so that we leave with this one encouragement. It's really clear in the passage, and personally, I have found it so encouraging. And the principle is this, that part of how God fills faithful lives is in setting up the future. I want you to see that. It's, it's all about how this book ends. And how this book ends is one of its most important themes. And that's kind of the ironic part. We haven't even acknowledged this yet. It's one of the biggest purposes of the book of Ruth. And, and we haven't even said anything about it till almost the very end of five Sundays into it. We're almost done with the book. And we haven't even pointed out one of the major purposes of the book of Ruth. It's kind of the punchline to the whole book. The punchline to the whole book is the genealogy at the end. Now, genealogies are usually boring, and this one is too. If you don't know enough Bible history, but if you know just a little bit of Bible history, then this genealogy packs a wallop. I mean, I have never been edified by a genealogy until this month, as I was preparing this message a couple of weeks ago. And I found the point of the genealogy so encouraging to me. I want to share it with you. This is an encouraging, it's encouraging because, first of all, how it ends. It's encouraging because of who it ends with. When you get to the end, you see that Obed, this bouncing baby boy born to Ruth, becomes the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. And if you know much about Bible history, you know that David is King David, one of the most significant characters in the whole story of God's work in the world. And if you know much Bible history, you know that David is the ancestor of Jesus, the one that God would send, the Messiah that God would send into the world to bring the world back to himself. So here's what we have. I mean, that's quite a punchline to the end of this story, to save all that for the very end. That's a punchline that God not only fills faithful lives in this story, He uses their faithfulness to set up the future. In this case, God sets up the leadership of Israel and the ultimate salvation of the whole world. He sets up the future through the faithful lives of Naomi and Boaz and Ruth. I like this genealogy because of how it ends, and I like this genealogy because of how it begins. It begins with a guy named Perez. Now, Perez, according to verse 12, is the son of Judah and Tamar. Now, 
If you want to read one of the most sordid stories in the Bible, read about how Perez was conceived between Judah and Tamar. This afternoon, open your Bible to Genesis 38, 38, and you read that story, and you won't believe it. Perez got off to a really bad start. He got off to a terrible start, but here's, here's the deal. Somewhere... Somewhere between Perez and Boaz, God intervened in a dysfunctional family tree. And, and someone ended up raising a Boaz. Who ended up loving a widow. Who ended up having a baby. Who ended up ultimately being the ancestor of the Messiah. Here's the deal. God... God, one of the ways that he fills faithful lives is by setting up the future. He is filling Naomi and Boaz and Ruth by making them part of a story that's so much bigger than anything that they could have imagined. God is setting up the future through faithful lives in the present. That's so encouraging to me because that's true today. God is setting up the future through your faithful lives, your faithful, your chesed in the lives of the people around you, you don't know how God's going to use your faithful, your emptying yourself to fill someone else. You don't know how God's going to use that. You have no idea the rest of that story. Here's what's true for me. The older I get, and I'm not old, but I'm older than I used to be, The older I get, I can feel the need to shift from what I want to accomplish to what I want to set up. I can feel that. Because there's going to come a time when you and I are off the scene and we are not able to accomplish anymore. But, you know what? We could still, uh, we could still watch God work through our lives through the things, not that we are accomplishing, but through the things that we set up. So when the time, by the time we're off the scene, certain events are already in play because we, in our lifetime, focused on filling the lives around us. And by doing that, God set up the future, future stories and future generations who will be impacted by your actions, your faithfulness today. I love that idea that God fills faithful lives in part by setting up the future. Even if I don't get to see what, how those stories turn out, it fills me to think that I can set up the future. That my, my life can live on beyond my life as I empty myself into the lives of other people. So, you want God to fill you? and set up the future through you, then live a faithful, loving life. Be faithful to your spouse. Be faithful to your spouse and be selfless with your spouse and don't worry about whether they're filling you. You fill them and see what God will do. You have no idea the story that God will tell through your faithful marriage of decades. You don't know. You want God to fill you and set up the future through you? Then be a fully invested parent. 
Be an engaged parent with your children. Invest in them and make sure they know how to follow Jesus better than they know how to kick a soccer ball. Make sure they see you faithfully loving your spouse, their mom, their dad. Let them see you serving Jesus. And God will not only fill you by investing in your kids or your grandkids, God will set up the future. You will be filling the lives of people you've never met before by filling up the lives of your children. That's such a powerful idea. You want God to fill you and set up the future through you? Then serve the people in your community. Serve the people in a generation that's different than yours. Serve the people in a different culture than yours. Serve the people in your faith family. We're just surrounded by opportunities to do this. We're surrounded by opportunities to empty ourselves and fill other people. And we have no idea how God will use that. One opportunity is right around the corner is Blue Ridge Christmas. For the third year, we will be adopting families at Blue Ridge and uh, taking care of uh, some beautiful Christmas arrangements for them, food and clothes and some niceties. And you don't have any idea how showing love to a particular family is going to change that whole family's future. You have no idea, right? We just don't know. We just fill lives and let God tell the story. A reverberate Christmas opportunity for us to invest with the many ways God's blessed us and to give that away in this valley. Your marriage is an opportunity to fill someone up. Your parenting is an opportunity to fill someone up. And you have no idea how God wants to set up the future through the selfless love that you show today. I just find that to be such a powerful idea. And I hope that it encourages you. I hope it gives you some traction in carrying out maybe some of the hard assignments that you've got to carry out. Some of the lives around you that are empty and it is costing you to fill them. I hope it encourages you to know that that's part of how God uses us in the world today. So this Thanksgiving, when you're sitting around your dinner table and you have just filled your stomach... And you feel full. I want you to think about that as a picture of your whole life. God fills faithful lives. You could even have a little conversation around the table. Let's have everyone share one way that God has filled you this year. What I'd like to do is pray with you right now. Ask, you, ask God to continue to use you and me for the things that he wants to do in us and also through us. Let's pray. Father, we are coming up on a time of year where we can be thankful. And, and we want to be thankful all the time. But we're, it's a good for us to set time aside in an intentional way to give thanks. This story of Ruth, of how you fill faithful lives... Man, it just makes us want to give thanks to you. We know that you fill faithful lives and you want us to act in chesed towards each other. I want to pray for the person this morning who's, not, who's really in chapter 1, maybe the first five verses, and they are in a point of emptiness right now. And I pray that you will help them to see the future 
Help them to see that you are going to fill them as they continue to carry out the loving assignments that you've given them right now. I pray that they will see that you will be faithful to them. I pray for those this morning who feel full and have seen you fill their lives with blessings. I pray that you will help all of us to know that you are the source of that and it's all grace and your goodness to us. We are so thankful that you are a God who's in the details. We want to be people who follow you and act with the same love that you show towards us. We ask for your help in doing that. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.